Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. He had a troubled heart. But we move away from the troubled heart. Let's go back to the passage again. He says this, and this is so neat because there's something that happens because he's, he's praying to the Father here and he's talking to him. And look what happens then. After he says, Father, glorify your name. It says, then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. I think that it is referring to the name and the reputation and all that's wrapped up around the person of Christ, primarily in the history of Christ before he came to this very point. And it might be, I got glory when you turned the water into wine. I got glory when you fed the five. I got glory in all that you did. I I glorified you in everything that you did. But the greatest glory is now going to come when you go to the final end and I'm going to be glorified again in the future, again. And that again is a week away when he goes to the cross. So here's what I'm saying. Go back again. I have a problem. Oh, Lord, deliver me from this. Oh, but it's for this purpose. And I want to make sure I fulfill the purpose and, all right, Lord, I, I, I want you to get the glory out of this. Here's what you want to end with. It's not just an empty plea saying, Lord, glorify this. It is a promise. When you go through this his way, no matter what you're going through, he will get glory. Now, for those of you that want a little bit more, you might be interested to know that God the Father only spoke three times regarding the Son. The first time is when Jesus launched his ministry when he was baptized And it said from heaven, the voice came down, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Later on in his ministry, you'll notice he went up to a mountain, up there a couple of his disciples are with him and says, man, we want to stay up here, the transfiguration, you know, this is so great. Another voice from heaven, God the Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, but it added something. Now listen to him. That's huge. First part is glorify the Lord. Okay, we want you to get glory. Okay, now glorify the Lord. And he's getting glory. Now he says, listen to him. And maybe that's part of the train too. We go through the problem. Oh, Lord, deliver me. Mm, I want it for this purpose. Okay, what's the purpose in this thing? Lord, get glory through all of this. The Lord says, okay, I will get glory, but now listen, learn from this. So I don't know where you are, but are you learning? Okay, I hope I am. I, I hope I am. And then this time here, he then says those beautiful words that I glorify, you were glorified then, you'd be glorified again later on. All right, let's go to the fifth kind of heart that he had. And I think this heart would be what we call a confident heart. If you look again at the passage, beginning in verse 29, so the crowd of people who stood by and heard it, that sound from heaven, that voice, they said, well, it had thundered. Others were saying, no, it was an angel had spoken to him. Because they do remember in the Old Testament hearing about angels that spoke. Often they didn't know that those angels were the angel of the Lord who spoke. But anyway, those kinds of things. And Jesus said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes alone. Let me pause. These people here were saying, it's thunder, it's some kind of an angel. You know what they were really not saying? They were not saying, that is the voice of God. I am now in the presence of Jesus, who is God, and the voice of God the Father. And I bow down and I listen. And so I don't know, but maybe the Lord is speaking to you. And I'm not saying thunder and angels, but he is speaking through the word right here. Would we be now saying, no, that's really not it. And I don't believe him. And I'm not going to listen here. And it can't be right. And we spend all of our life analyzing, trying to figure all this stuff out rather than just blanket, flat out, simple, quiet, childlike faith 
obedience. Just do it. Just do it. And they didn't get that message. Well, let's go back to the passage again. And Jesus said, this voice has not come for my sake. Why? Because he already knew what was going on. But for your sakes. And now here's what he's confident in. There's four things here you want to mark it. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The third is, and if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. That's third and fourth. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death. We'll talk about that in a moment. Notice what he's confident in here. He says, now judgment is upon this world. Well, you already know by now through our study of the Gospel of John, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn or judge the world, but that through him the world might be saved. So what he's talking about is this whole thing of him going to the cross, because that's the context. He's speaking about the death and all of that. It's at that death time now that all of that is going to be unleashed. Now, you know John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world, etc. And I just quoted the verse 17 that says, He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. But if you remember, verse 18 says, But he that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, only because they haven't believed. So all of this condemnation all centers around Jesus Christ, what he's done for us on the cross, and believing in him. And that's when this particular judgment begins. But technically... The world has always been underneath the judgment of God and there's even future judgment to come. So that's number one, negative confidence. Second, negative confidence. It says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So let me ask this question. Who is the ruler of this world? Anybody want to shout it out? Who is the ruler of this world? Anybody? Real loud. Satan, okay, the devil, however you want to d- define him. That's who it is. Now he will influence, prompt energize, however you want to say it, earthly leaders of all kinds. So he's trying to influence the world. And now what we have as a result, what we call a secular worldview. And a secular worldview is any worldview that leaves God out of it or distorts the reality of the true God. That's the secular worldview. And so the ruler of that, the influencer of that, it says here, is cast out. Now, that casting out actually happened in stages. It's speeding up right here, becoming more profound. This ruler of the ages, this ruler of this world, actually started out as one of the highest angels. But because of pride, he was cast out the presence of God. Now, that doesn't mean he could not have access to heaven. I'll talk about that in a moment. He was cast down to this earth. And that's when he had all that influence when Adam and Eve came here. And that brought the moral ruin of the human race, all through the influence of the ruler of this world, which would be Satan. We then also know that this same ruler of this world during the tribulation period of time is going to be officially cast out of heaven, meaning heaven will be locked out for him to be able to go to. He will have no access to heaven whatsoever. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, he's not only going to be on this earth, at the end of the seven years, he's going to be taken off this earth and he's going to be locked into something called the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now, I don't have time to teach about demon and angelology in the unseen world, but he's put there for a reason so that God can have his way with the earth, letting the world know how bad the earth can be, even without Satan's influence. Then for a thousand years, Satan is locked up, but that's not the end. He still needs to be cast out forever and ever and ever. At the end of that thousand years, he's taken out of the bottomless pit. A little bit of negative activity happens with a battle over here. And then he is cast into the lake of fire. And there are some good Bible scholars who says the lake of fire obviously is not on this earth. It very well could be a wandering star, according to Jude. So that meaning that for then he will be cast out from anything from the eternal presence of God and anything else but never annihilated but never having the power to do anything else but to be a wandering star forever and ever without any influence so those of you who joke and talk about yeah I'll go down to hell with all my buddies and we're going to have a big party down there with Satan there ain't no party and Satan ain't the king of the party 
He's a liar. And so he's cast out. And I put a smile on your face because that's what Jesus did for you and me. He took over our life. He's going to take over this world system and there's going to be great victory. And that happened because of Christ. Well, that's the two negative. But now look at the two positive. It goes on in the passage and it says this. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth. Now you read that and you say, well, maybe he won't be because if he is, maybe he's not. No, that's if or since I am lifted up from the earth. But he couldn't say since present tense because he wasn't lifted up from the earth yet. So there's that if implying if and it will be within about a week. So if I am lifted up from the earth. I like this because it didn't say lifted up in the earth. If it said lifted up in the earth, look up here if you will for a moment. All right, Jesus is been horribly whipped and scourged and thorns on his head, okay? They have a a, a branch, a log, a tree, a cross, whatever you want to call it, is laying down in front of a big hole and they've got to pull it up, drop it into the hole. But to do that, they've got to lay Jesus on this cross. They nail him on this cross and he is lifted up in the earth. That's not merely what it's talking about. That's just the death part. It's his lifted up from the earth, which means he's taken up off out of the cross, off planet earth and into the heavens, and he's, if he's lifted up, that's all part of it. Now, listen very carefully. This morning I quoted for you John 3, 16, 17, and 18. You, what you need to read, your time, verses 13, 14, and 15, because it's going to talk about a reference to the Old Testament about the serpent that was lifted up. And if in faith the Jews believed and looked at that serpent, they were healed from their physical maladies that they had. And Jesus is using that as an analogy of being lifted up, trusting in him, being healed from all, not so much physical diseases, although that might be part of it, but it's the greatest disease, disease of all. The most fatal is not going to be cancer. The most fatal disease is sin. Because Christians die of cancer and they still go to heaven. But if you die with sin, you'll never go to heaven. It's fatal forever. And he's healed you from that. And that's what he does for us. And so all of that is so confident. We'll go back to the passage again. And he said he was saying all this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. A death that would pay for all sin. That kind of a death. The the kind of death that's explained in the Old Testament. The kind of death that would satisfy God. So the kind of death is a big broad statement there of all the things that satisfies the payment for sin. Verse 34. The crowd then answered him again. We have heard out of the law that the Christ or Messiah is to remain forever. Now, that's confusing to new people that are in all of this. First of all, the law there is not talking about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It is, partly. But it's really referring to all the word of God in the Old Testament. This is a general term for the law, not a specific... It's not the Decalogue. It's a lot bigger than that, more than the Ten Commandments. So in the Old Testament, it said that the Messiah is to remain forever. Now, look up here. That is true. The Messiah is to remain forever. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the message today... We talked about the Messiah is seen, and you've got to look at him with both eyes. He's seen as a suffering Messiah, but you're also seeing the Messiah as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, so to speak. The forever Messiah. And so in this particular case, they're remembering not the suffering Messiah of Jesus. They're saying this one Messiah that's going to be here forever, the big king, the one that they're looking for. And many Jews that are more orthodox are looking for him today the same way. Go back to the passage again. You say the Son of Man must be lifted up. Who is this Son of Man? Well, that's kind of dumb because he's been talking all along that he was the Son of Man. And I wish I had time to open up that whole concept, get some of the early messages because we identify what does it mean to be Son of Man, Son of God. Get that on another tape. But the bottom line is, is that they're not seeing it. 
They're not seeing it. So let me ask you, are you still on your journey of question, 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 question? If they're authentic, genuine questions where that as they're answered, you're going forward with it rather than you're in this side and you want to have Christians explain every little detail and you won't believe any of it until you have all your answers. If it's that way, here's what you're going to have. Paralysis by analysis. Have you ever heard that before? Nod your head. Paralysis by analysis. That means you're going to keep studying, studying, but never come to the knowledge of the truth. But if you have questions, that's not bad. Seeking is a process of asking and getting questions answered. But as you do, I believe it. Now, my next question. I believe that? Okay, okay, okay. You're moving forward with that. And so going back to this passage here again, how rich this is because they weren't getting their questions. They weren't following along what God was saying. And yet he so confidently said, Satan's cast out. World is judged. I'm lifted up or will be lifted up. And I love the last part. And I will draw all men. That's a hard phrase. I will draw all men. And they're having a hard time with that. Some Christians have a hard time. Does that mean everybody's going to get saved? We call it universalism. I don't believe it's talking about that. The best way I can define it is going back to the word draw all men. It's used two times in scripture primarily. One is to be used when they took a net. They threw it out into the lake. And they drew the net, so they were dragging that net full of fish in, all right? So you're drawing it, you're pulling it, okay? The second time it was used in the context of history is when a, a soldier would draw out his sword. Today, in the Old West, you'd say, okay, quick draw, when you pull out your gun. Well, the point of the matter is, is drawing is coming forward. So when it's talking about drawing all men... Some want to take it to the degree that means everybody is going to come to faith in Christ because he's drawing everybody. Actually, the issue is, and if you read it now, watch this, important. This is why you, the cake is made up of more than one ingredient. Catch that phrase. So theology is often made up of more than one ingredient. But all the ingredients have to fit underneath the title of edibility or you can eat it. So the truth is, yes, he is drawing. That means more people are coming to Christ. Now stay with this thought. This is critical. In the Old Testament, the word was getting out. We know it. The word was published and great was a company that spread it out, all of that. But not like when Jesus died, he rose again from the dead, not yet ascended. He now talks to his disciples. And what does he tell all of them to do? He says, as you go into this world, as you spread out, you're to preach the gospel to every creature. So what he's now doing is he's saying this message of which we talked about for thousands of years that was getting out through the Old Testament and different ones were coming to faith. The biggest swath of people that's going to hear the message is going to now start at the descension of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and now the world. And so now he says, now we're going to draw everybody. Now if you were here last week, we talked about the, the, the Greeks who represent the Gentiles. So in the Old Testament, mostly Jew, 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 Jew. New Testament is Gentile, Gentile, Gentile. And now he's saying it's to go to everybody is to get the message. So he's now going to draw all men. Does that mean everybody's going to believe in him? You're smart enough to know that. They're not. The rest of the whole passage talks about that. But he is out there to draw them. So here's my question. If it's out there to draw there, you heard the message. Are you part of his forever family? Are you the one that he is now specially ringing your bell is today the day you're ready to call upon the Lord and say yes Lord you're drawing everybody but I can sense you drawing me and I'm trusting in you and you still got to trust him though you'll see that in the whole context so let's go back again alright so we see how confident in and all that he's doing here now go if you will to the next heart this would be his call it the sixth type of heart and this one we might call would be 
the inviting heart or the invitation heart. So Jesus said to them, to the group that were there, for a little while longer the light is among you. Why was a little while longer? Because he's only going to be there a week and then he will be seen by others after his resurrection. So others will see him. So he's only going to be there a short time. So he says, remember, only a little while I'm going to be here. So walk while you have the light. We're talking physically here. Spiritually we know he's everywhere present. But while we have the light. You want to walk while we have the light. So that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. And that's true. If you drove busy street, no lights, no full moon, you turn the lights off on your car, you could easily drive off the road. Many have. So, darkness. You won't know where you're going. You've got to be able to see. Some people would say you've got to turn the light on so you could read the map. You need light. So walk while you have the light so that the darkness will not overtake you. Verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. So he says, walk in the light. Then he says, believe in the light. And the result will be, you'll become a son of the light. Now look over here. Let me see if I can make some sense over this. Again, all of you that might be listening on radio right now, and you're on the other side of faith maybe, I'm glad you're listening to the light. Now, I'm not the light. If you all agree with that, say, "Uh uh-huh. I'm not the light. This is the light. Jesus is the light. The Word of God is the light. How do I know? It says the light under our feet, the lamp under our feet. Okay, this is the light. And so as long as we are walking and listening and we are in this light, we're discovering this, we're studying it, we're going deeper in this thing. We really want to know the light through the light so we can really see Him. When you do that, the next step is then you'll be able to believe in the light. Now those people that kind of glance at the light, get away from it, they slide back into darkness because you don't know how long you're going to have the light... It's those kinds of people that won't believe in Him. So you have to be exposed to the light in order to believe in the light. How many of you, let me ask you, are absolutely positive that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Somewhere you were walking in the light. Doesn't mean you were walking by means of the Holy Spirit, but you're walking in the light of God's Word, the truth of God's Word. And somehow someone took portions of the word that are specific for those who need to know Christ as Savior. And then with the Holy Spirit's conviction, with the word, it came to you and then you had a choice. So the drawing might be out there, but still the believing is our responsibility. And then we placed our faith in the Lord. Now here's the bottom line. You now are sons of the light. Now this is another whole sermon. If you're sons of the light, that means I have the light of Christ in me. I have the light of the word here. I can become more like Christ. So now I'm the light to do what? To get around other people so that they can be exposed more to the light. And they see it by my testimony. They hear it from my lips. They have an opportunity when I personally engage them in God's word. All of you that know Christ as Savior, you are already the light. That's why it says don't hide under a bushel. And you can see where this thing is going big time for those of you who have been a Christian a long time. This is so rich right here and he's inviting you to be a part of this. Man, how much of an invitation do you need? I mean, we ought to be running to this truth. It should be so real and rich for us. Well... That's kind of the end. If you will, go to the middle part of verse 36 because this is where it gets really interesting. It says, These things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. Now stop for a moment. This is very... I got a little bit of time so let me get this real quick. What John is doing now is under the ministry of the Holy Spirit 
the Holy Spirit, God, is telling him what he needs to record about Christ. So he is recording conversations that Christ has with individuals. He's recording messages and declarations that Jesus makes to different people groups when he speaks. He's recording that. He's also recording, underneath the ministry of the Holy Spirit, observations about what Christ not only said, but also what he did. And so he records all of that. Now, in this passage, right now, right where we're at, verse 36, he stops. And no more you're going to hear the words of Christ except what John chooses to write based on prior exposure to what Jesus was saying. What I just gave to you last week and this week is all current, right then history happening in real time. Now, Jesus goes off. John now decides that there's still more to be told. The Holy Spirit prompts him what to write, so now he tells the story. Now, this is what you'd want to do. Those of you who couldn't be with us, the rest of this chapter is nothing more than a... Um, a capitulation of all of the Gospel of John. Particularly if you start here with, um, oh, I don't know, you could almost start anywhere if you'd like. Perhaps you want to start with uh, verse 41, 42. If you do this, you can do a study, and all this is is a summary of everything about Jesus in one little capsule passage of what John recorded in the first 12 chapters. This is huge for you. So if you want to get it all in a nutshell, this is all in a nutshell. That doesn't mean the rest of it isn't important, so just get the abbreviated, you know, Gospel John Light. But it is to let you know it's all said in a summary. So let's go to that now, and we're going to end because this section right here is the last part of the heart of Jesus, and I call it the abandoned heart. After all Jesus said, after all that he did, let me say this, all the good that he said and all the deeds that he did that was good, everything he did was to help draw attention, watch this, to himself. Yeah, it helped some people, it fed some people, but all of that was so that they would get beyond their felt needs to see who he really was, so that they would place their faith in him, have all sins forgiven, they can have an eternal relationship with him, have heaven as their home, and the whole theme of the book, as I taught you at the beginning, was the Gospel of John is called a belief for life. Life today, life forever, it's a belief. And the object of that is Christ. Now saying all of that, after all that he did, you still wonder there are people that have abandoned him. And so, here's where I want you to be as I go through this part. This is where you want to be mentally for a second, hopefully. I want you to think about the people that you have given the gospel to over and 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 over again, however you've done it, and they still keep rejecting, mocking, not, not wanting a part of it, to the point now that you kind of backed away from it. And I can understand that. I've done that too. And you're wondering, is there any hope for those people? And I'm going to give it to you this way. The answer is yes and no. There may still be some, as long as they can wiggle a little finger, that they still might come to faith in Christ. I don't know. Only God and that person might know that. I don't know. But I can also say this. There are some that no matter how many times you give it to them, no matter how much you pray, no matter how many books on evangelism you learn and apply to that person, they will never trust Christ and they will spend eternity in hell And God has given them up to that thinking by their own choice. So where does that leave you? Well, here's how I'm going to apply that. I'm going to say that as long as I have breath, since I don't know who will and who won't, I'm going to model and message those people in the gospel the best I can with what I have, praying and all that. At the same time, if they don't trust Christ as Savior, I will always ask myself, could I have done a better job, humanly speaking? But on the other side of that, That's still up between them and the Lord. Only God knows. Now I'm going to show you where that comes from in this passage. So let's go. The abandoned heart. 
Verse 37 says, But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. So by the way, that means I don't care how many more signs God has to do for that person. That doesn't mean you're going to believe, they're going to believe more in him. So it doesn't require any more signs. Oh, 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 this is, this is good. Lord, thank you for this. It's not so much that God has to do another earthly sign in today's time. When I look at scripture, and this is another thing, give to your kids to do. This would be really huge. Have them pick out every miracle that God has ever done from Genesis to Revelation here in Scripture, anything that's, that's happened already, and mark down every single miracle, big or little of any kind. Those are already signs that he has already demonstrated that is recorded in history. What more signs does he need to do for us to engage? So let's go back to the passage. All right, so there's not any more signs. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? Not very many. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? To as many as would listen to. For this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah said again. Now this gets hard now. This is hard. Look at it. He, the Lord, has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.